0: So good day, folks. It's actually a a really good opportunity and and pleasure, I'll say, because we have some fantastic guests today, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast, to really give us an inside look about how to teach and learn race, or racism. Anti-Black racism, patriarchy, misogyny, inequities, oppression, all those terms that we, we lump in together through sport. And a big part of this is through the course that we just finished up. So this is December 2021, in arts, cor- arts first course called Shut Up and Dribble, Arts 130. And for a lot of students, first year is, you know, we're right in the middle of a, or depending on how you define middle of a pandemic. A lot of people who engage in this class love sport. And we talked about that, whether they grew up playing hockey, soccer, baseball, basketball, track. But for a lot of folks, understanding race beyond the interpersonal reactions. For example, I think everybody is clear in understanding that, you know, you can't call black people the N-word or you can't call women the B-word. Folks understand that. But the challenge for this course was taking it a step further to understand race and racism through systems and institutions. And the systems and institutions that we used were sport. And particularly sports that were very near and dear to people, i.e. hockey. So today we have two fantastic students pamela and cameron and a special special guest reina to talk to us about their experiences learning race through sport and also how they engage with the topic so i'll first get pamela to introduce herself to to the audience
1: Hi, everybody. I'm
2: Pamela Braza-Pittman. I'm a first year Faculty of Arts student here at University of Waterloo. I identify as a middle class Asian woman, um, first generation immigrant from the Philippines. And I engage in this course because I um, honestly want to be part of the solution and want to understand how I can be a better person.
0: Thank you, Pamela. Cameron.
3: Uh, Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Cameron Stirrup, Uh, currently my first term of my first year here at the University of Waterloo uh, in the Faculty of Arts, uh, planning to major in communications further on down the road. Um, I identify as a middle class white Canadian male, and uh, I decided to engage with uh, the course Shut Up and Dribble due to the fact that, um, or my passion rather, for sport as a whole, and basically mirroring Pamela's exact reasoning, um, being part of the solution, um, basically examining how you can make a change and further spread uh, awareness for, you know, inclusivity and, you know, equal access to all participating in sports worldwide.
0: Much appreciated, Cameron. And then we have a special, special, special guest. Rena. <laughs> Please introduce yourself.
4: Hi everyone, I'm Raina. Um, I'm the daughter to Pamela and I identify as a Black Asian Canadian woman, um, middle class as well. Um, I wanted to be a part of this conversation so that I could share my own experiences and um, just touch on a few things that I've been through and um, just being able to share Um, like my struggles and what sort of things that I think should be part of the solution based off of um, what I've been through.
0: Brenna, I appreciate this. Thank you. And for folks who don't know, this conversation is very important. Again, we're recording December 2021 and for the past year plus post what I call the Negro Apocalypse. So post May 25th, 2020, where there's been a focus or lack of a better term on the issues of anti-Black racism and race, particularly the focus on what folks call CRT, critical race theory. And there's been a backlash, not a backlash, but a backlash about CRT, critical race theory, where particularly in the States, but we can also see that in Canada as well, that CRT has been demonized to be seen as an anti-white theoretical framework. That folks who engage with critical race theory, teaching it, learning it, putting it in classrooms, on curricula, are seen to be anti-white and demonizing white people and saying white people are bad and white history quote unquote is bad and so for me designing this course so i'll locate my identity for folks who may not know i am a cis het so cisgender heterosexual able-bodied black man so for me to engage in this topic knowing this environment of supposedly hating white people it's a challenge but i believe it's a necessary challenge for people to truly understand what critical race theory is and how, as Cameron, Pamela and Raina explained, how we can use it to teach and learn. So my question to our guest right now, and we'll start with Cameron. What did, before you got into this class, what did critical race theory mean to you? going through the course. And then now you kind of sit back at the end of the course. What does it mean to you now? And I bring up you, Cameron, first, because I remember very clearly getting your first assignment and I pushed you. (laughs) I pushed you, Cameron, your first assignment and the feedback. (laughs) And I said, "Mm, nah, this this isn't what critical race theory is. And you could have easily said, no, I'm done. I'm checking out whatever. But you didn't. So I want to see how do you First thought about critical race theory, race and racism, going through the course, even seeing that feedback I would given you, and then where you are now that you kind of see it differently. Go for it, Cameron.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I think you know the the whole idea of CRT, it was it was pretty foreign to me uh, without question before uh, the start of the term and the start of this course. And and yeah, you bring up my my, my first assignment. It was definitely a Uh, Concept that I definitely struggled to grasp with. Uh, There's no question. There's no question about that. But through your feedback as well as uh, completing the modules, modules, listening uh, to the podcasts, I was able to really, and also doing other research, I was really able to grasp the concept of critical race theory and the the oppression, the restriction of advancement of of black people within society, uh, the legal restrictions that are imposed upon them and really putting or taking that concept and really drawing it into the world of sport is uh, just it it was just an incredible concept to really research for the entire term you know taking events within history the history of sport um over time and just tying in the the idea of of crt and how it, it really has affected um, and, again, restricted advancement uh, of, of, you know, many exceptional athletes over time.
0: appreciate that, Cameron. Thank you. And Pamela, same question. Your understanding of CRT, critical race theory, before the course, during the course, and now that you take a step back.
2: Critical race theory to me before the course, uh, I knew vaguely that it was about racism, inequalities and discrimination in systems. Um, As I went through the course, I learned how to ask the right right questions to go deeper into that. Um, I learned that it's not personal. Um, A lot of people seem to think some conversations about racism and inequalities are personal. Um, So detaching yourself from, from your 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 own self to the conversation was helpful. Um, uh, asking the right questions like who wrote these policies, history, knowledge um, was really helpful. I think uh, looking at systems and policies in that, that way, um, who defined fair, what are the patterns that we're seeing, uh, the outcomes of some of these systems. So for example, using sport, as a tool to apply critical race theory was really practical and easy and the conversations were really enjoyable because we all enjoy sports. Um, So asking those questions to further analyze racism in some of these systems was really helpful for
1: me.
0: Pamela, I appreciate that. And I really want the audience to hear what is being said. Because there is a seemingly problematic fear that you can't talk about race. And one thing I want folks to remember, and you can't see us, but remember the positionality statements of Pamela and Cameron, that
1: these folks aren't, quote unquote, black. So you have the ability to do this.
0: But you need to do it in a way that folks can actually understand what it is, what CRT is, what Black Feminist Thought and Theory is, and have the patience as educators to pause before you
1: engage. Let people think. Let people make mistakes. Give constructive feedback. The hard part though, and we're getting into the nitty gritty now.
0: The hard part though is how do you do this when the topic is so near and dear to people's personal, quote unquote, cultural and national identities? Hockey. We call it the Hockey Week which is arguably one of the toughest weeks, modules, lectures, podcasts
1: that I do across academic spaces. And I'll explain in a second. But before we do, I wanna bring on
0: Raina. I want you to talk about your experiences in hockey, playing hockey?
1: Yeah, so um,
4: I've been playing hockey since I was about six years old. And um, from a very young age, I kind of uh, had this, like, subconscious feeling that I was a little bit different from everyone else in the space. Um, And it was a really hard thing for me growing up because I would, like, walk into my dressing room and be, like, the only person of color. And or try out for a rep team and be the only person of color in that space. And it's a thing that I don't think a lot of people understand because um, the hockey community is definitely a a white um, and male dominated kind of um, sport community. And um, even with um, I work in the hockey industry and everyone that I work with is uh, white and also a man. And so it's just a different space for me to be a part of. And I think that it's really cool that I can sort of change some of those boundaries, even if I'm just one person, uh, taking the steps to sort of expand the community so that it is inclusive for everyone. Um
1: yeah Thank you, Rayne. And, and real talk, right? Real talk, because it's not like we're
0: recording this or anything. but <laughs> we want people you want people to learn.: Yeah. I never grew up playing hockey. You know, I was around friends, classmates who played hockey.
1: I personally can't imagine what it may or may not be like to walk into a dressing room and feel and sometimes be told like you shouldn't be here yeah
0: and Reina, my follow-up question to you it's especially now that you work in the hockey industry yeah What does that like? Can you can we put it into words and can you put it into words to the audience? Like, What does that feel like? Because a lot of and I bring this up because we hear the stories, for example, uh, Akeem Aliou, you know, we hear the story of P.K. Subban, we hear those stories. Bernie Saunders, we hear them. But it's always from people who are quote unquote famous or professional athletes, but we never hear it from. Youth, people in the game, so what does that going into a locker room, being on the ice? you know, being in your industry, what does that fundamentally feel like? And can you explain it for folks?
4: Yeah, um, it sort of just feels like you are one level lower than everyone else around you, uh, sort of like you're inferior to, um, your peers. Um, it was definitely something that I, I struggled to, you know, feel comfortable with, um, especially like not only being a Visual um, minority, like a a person of color, but also as a woman, um, being someone who has a great love for hockey and the game, and just sports in general. Um, it's it's definitely like a weird thing. Um, I like even at work, there's pretty much no women in my um, in my department. Definitely no people of color. Um, and it's just like, it's a, it's a, it's an odd feeling. Um, it just kind of feels like you're a bit singled out. Um, and like I said before, a level lower, um, people will try and act like they know more than you and think that they're better than you and make you feel like you're not in the right space. But. I think it really comes down to the love of the game. Um, It's beyond what a person looks like. If you love hockey, then you love hockey, and you want to be a part of it, um, then you can be. And I think that it's about teaching people that it's okay to break those kind of boundaries.
0: Well said, Rain. I appreciate that. Thank you. And Pamela? You're hearing this, right? You're at the rink. You see what's going on. You now, especially in, again, we're recording this December 2021, you now have more tools in your toolbox to understand on a historical, social, political, theoretical space and frameworks and paradigms. You now have that. How do you see What's happening to your daughter on the ice and in the locker room? How do you see that? And how does that make you feel? Um,
2: when uh, she was growing up playing hockey, I was always frustrated but what I was seeing. Um, she had a lot of challenges, um, always feeling like she had to prove herself more than everybody. She was working harder than a lot of people. And I may be biased because that's my daughter. But... Um, she was always the leading uh, scorer. Like she she always excelled. However, she always had challenges going the next level. And I understood why, and it was heartbreaking to understand that and, and learn that. Um, and I wish I could do more. Um, it, it's just frustrating. It just feels like you've given everything for, for your child, but it's not good enough. And I feel alone, like as a parent, there was no other other parent that I could relate to and be an ally
1: with to, to help me push those boundaries. But yeah, it was very challenging. It's one of those things where unless you live it and you experience it,
0: you don't really know, right?
1: exactly
2: i'm often alone in the you know the the uh, lobby of hockey rings by myself like not really relating to the other parents um yeah it's hard to speak up because you don't you're already feeling like you're alone so if there's something that seems to be an injustice for your child or for your family you have to really debate if you need to speak up or can I let this one go so it doesn't put any risk on my child and her opportunities. Um, yeah, it's almost like tiptoeing all the time and choosing your battles.
0: And I'm listening to this and I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, there's no there's no <laughs> academic term other other than saying this sucks, <laughs> you know?
1: and yeah, yeah for
0: sure. a big part of what i do and what we've done and i want folks to really understand the way that i teach and the and one of the i don't want to say the best but a better way of teaching race is to approach it through the social constructivist model that we're all learning from each other the socratic methods we're learning from each other we're asking pull questions and it's not a top-down lecturing space and i bring this up because had these conversations week to week and cameron would up of all the people would know cameron would know that if you just looked at the syllabus if you just looked or listened to the podcast you would fundamentally think that this course is anti-hockey and not just anti-hockey anti-white men like if you just listen to it and there's no context that's what you'd think it was and even when we're hearing the story from Raina and Pamela, some folks might just kind of be like, so this is all you did? You just told your students to hate hockey and to hate white people and hate white men? And, and, and you know, hockey is all about rape culture and, and violence.
1: So, Cameron, how did you interpret the quote unquote hockey week? And how do
0: you interpret even hearing what Arena and Pamela are sharing, like you as a white man who played hockey, grew up playing hockey, you know that's the part of the the Canadian culture. How do you interpret all of this
3: Well, uh especially after uh completing the hockey week module, um which was the the last one that we we tackled in in the course um i I, I really think that I, I went into it with a, again, obviously, tw- being that it was towards the end of the course, acquiring more and more knowledge about CRT, um, uh, the jockey syndrome as as well, just that restriction of black advancement. Um, you know, really, I I really went into it basically with a... I, I wanted to really kind of put my my own experience into it because growing up playing hockey, I played hockey for roughly 10, 11 years. And, you know, hearing, you know, the experiences of, of Raina and Pamela, the, the the problem with, you know, basically someone in my position, and I, I'm speaking from my experience with, you know, teammates over my 10, 11 years playing, you know probably less than easily less than 10 players of another race you know just a a, a handful if you will but the problem with or, or sorry the the, uh, the the problem is that or the issue rather was that you know us players uh, us us white players we we weren't really made aware of the fact that there were other people who you know could not receive greater access um, you know people that felt at a disadvantage um, basically my my whole time playing playing hockey you know I wasn't I wasn't aware of that you know I was I was focused on obviously performing on the ice training, bettering myself as a player but I wasn't really made aware of the fact that there were other people who couldn't access the the training regimes that I was able to access in in that, in that form, which obviously looking at it now after completing the, the hockey week module, you know, it really, really did make my, my stomach turn. There's, there's no question about that. It definitely changed my, my, my viewpoint uh, drastically.
0: I'm glad you said that about, the awareness and the particular focus that you, you had. And and to be fair, I mean, if you're anybody in youth sports, <laughs> you're not thinking about, you know, the social dynamics and you're not thinking about the cost. You're like, oh, I want to play because I want to make it or I want to be better. For and sure. a question, a follow up question I have for you, Cameron, it's. How did you and, and again, I keep on thinking back to the first assignment. How did you and how do you not get stuck in that sick feeling now that you're aware? How do you not get stuck to say, you know what, F it, who cares, whatever is done, I'm going to move on? So, how did you not get stuck? And how are you applying this? I don't even want to say new knowledge, but new awareness. I'm really glad you brought up the jockey syndrome. For folks who don't know what the jockey syndrome is, it's basically this. Not even concept or idea is really born out of the 19th century where jockeys used to dominate horse racing black jockeys used to dominate horse racing in the states but then since they're dominating horse racing then there's certain qualifications and standards that got put in place to exclude black people from the sport hence why you see horse racing now you rarely see a black jockey so cameron you know you have this awareness now i want to know how you didn't get stuck and how are you beginning to or hoping to apply these lessons this awareness that you begin to see in hockey and sport broadly to other areas of life
3: well yeah it's the the awareness i've i i've i've sort of gained is 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 just is incredibly valuable and as i talked about in my my assignment on on the jockey syndrome it all has to start with the the institutions the major governing institutions that um that run the game uh, basically all the people of power they they really need to 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 come together and basically uh draw up a plan for change because it's it, it's it's quite clear what needs to be done it's 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 obvious uh, obviously you know, just making hockey accessible for all. I know that is a it, it is a tall order, but you know, again, people, the the people, the governing bodies, they have enough power to 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 make an influence. Uh, the 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 old boys club, um, but you know, they they won't. And like I like I said before, it's quite obvious what needs to be done. You know, the 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 women's game, uh, we need to we need to push the women's game. We need to promote the women's game. Uh, we need to. To, to celebrate, um, and instead of instead of knocking people who have a disadvantage down, we need to to really celebrate their contributions, celebrate their effort, and obviously um, reward them rather than reward them for uh, devoting their their lives to the game. Uh, we need to reward them instead of pushing them down, restricting them from obviously you know playing playing hockey playing sports doing whatever you want to do in in life uh really whatever career path you choose it it needs to there there just there needs to be equal access there needs to be everyone needs to have a voice because everyone can make a change um we just obviously need to open up our eyes and and obviously look at it for the better
0: hey I, i told you before when you're in the next Gary Bettman, because you know Gary Bettman's gonna be on there for like <laughs> another 45 years. Yeah. But this is the attitude that folks need to have that we all can be a part of the change, and we just can't have this expectation that someone else is gonna do it. And to follow that up, Pamela, I really want for you to bring your perspective on the so what and what's next? Because you have a very, very interesting perspective that's very different from Mm -hmm. a lot of people, right? You have a daughter in the sport. You're not in the sport, but you're that outsider, literally to the sport, but also that quote unquote outsider to society, Canadian society.
1: How can we take these lessons from hockey and apply it broadly? That's a tough question because there's so many things to address. Um, But I have to look at what I can
2: do and what I can influence. So as a parent of Reina, I need to be a better advocate for her when she is going through some challenges to um, succeed in the sport that she wants to play. Uh, Like Cameron, all I want her to do is just focus on her game, not the politics and not the Um, hurtful comments that she gets on the ice, I don't want her to worry about that. So I need to be a better advocate. I need to be braver, I guess, or more courageous to address those. Um, In my job, I didn't mention this earlier, but I I also work at the University of Waterloo. Um, I can look at what I have influenced in there and how are our students being impacted. I have to ask the right questions. Who's making some of these policies? Who's in these spaces? Who's succeeding in these spaces? Um, and be an advocate for those students. I I think this course has made me more prepared and armed for those conversations and ask the right questions. And before this course, I I, I used to take these conversations to heart and personal and I would always get so emotional after and emotionally exhausted after. Um, I think now we can look at it logically so that we can move forward and make those changes.
0: It's almost like a bit of a cognitive dissonance, right? (laughs) You need to to take something that's so deeply personal to you, take a step back and separate yourself to actually engage in it, right?
2: It's really hard to do, especially when you see your loved ones being hurt by it or being held back by
0: it. And that's a challenge that I challenge Cameron, I challenge all students in this course. Not just the students of color, racialized students, equity seeking, equity deserving, all different terms out there. But folks who are a part of the dominant space. Particularly when it came to hockey week, and there's a reason why I put usually I have hockey week earlier in the term, but I left it to the end this time. Folks, when we're engaging in CRT, critical race theory, or when we're engaging in these tough topics when it comes to oppression, equity, diversity, whatever it is, decolonization, indigenization, folks have to be able to separate themselves, their self, capital S self, from the topic. So if we are engaging in a critical, exchange or critical analysis of rape culture or violence in hockey. You need to ask yourself, why is my identity so tied up in hockey? Is the content challenging me? Do I feel challenged? And if I feel challenged on a topic that is actually not about me, it's about the institution of hockey,
1: not the game, but the institution, the business, the history. Why do I feel offended? It's taking that step back and seeing the situation
0: and seeing the topic for what it is. And as we wrap up, I want Reina for you to have the last word because you're in this.
1: Literally, (laughs) you're in this. Where do you want us to go? What?
0: does the future of sport, the future of hockey, the future of critical race theory, Black feminist thought and theory, equity, diversity, you name it, what does that actually mean outside of this quote-unquote ivory tower? What is, where do you want it to go, Raina?
4: Um, I'm honestly really glad that this is being taught on an academic level. Um, there is only so much that I can do and people like me can do to share our experiences. But it's a hard thing for people to understand that haven't experienced it. And I hope that by sort of including this in academic curriculums and really just. Informing people of what it's really like um, goes somewhere, and even if it's just On a small level, one person can have an impact on another, and it's sort of like a domino effect. If one student can change their perspective on racism in sports, that is already a big step. Because as a whole, um, the only way that this is going to... um, not necessarily be solved because it's such a a big issue and it roots from a lot of things. Um, but on a more personal level, that people can one by one start to understand and be really open to learning about it. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a lot of work to be done, especially in the business and the just the overall system of hockey specifically. Um, it's a Canadian game. It has always been sort of ruled by men and specifically white men. Um, I think that even, for example, if you look at the biggest league or the highest league, the NHL, I didn't have anyone to look up to as a kid. I all of my idols, all my favorite players, were always white men. Um, and it's really tough for a kid to grow up like that, um, not seeing anyone who looks like you or has really like shared the same experiences as you, being able to have the opportunity to go um, and be successful with the game that they love. And I think that we definitely need to start pushing the women's game. Um, because women's hockey is just as important as men's hockey but we don't see that and we don't fund that and we don't promote that um it's sort of a business that like it will make the most money if you know the white men are playing and I I just hope that um one by one we can all sort of come together to have these sort of talks and really sit down to reflect on what people are going through. And like I said before, there's only so much that I can share. Um, Even with my own mom, um, there's only so much that I can really tell her about what I'm going through um, as she's not in hockey and she's never really been introduced to that space. I think that it's been a really great opportunity for her to learn about this on an academic level. And I I know that she's been really excited to be in this course, and she has been actively sharing with me sort of the things that she's learned. And it's, it's awesome to see um, that she's learning about this and that she's, um, being educated more on this topic rather than just me being able to be like mom this happened on the ice today and I didn't feel good about this um yeah just being able to share on a personal level um sort of our experiences and I hope that eventually I know it's a long process but eventually um uh the women's game being pushed more and The same can be said for a lot of sports, but hockey especially. um, Yeah, I just hope that people are more open to understanding and being open to listening uh, rather than being defensive because it is a a sensitive topic. Um, You know, it's, it's tied into Canadian culture and it's a big part of that. Um, And so I find that a lot of people take it so personally when you say, like, uh, it's a white male or man dominated sport. Um, So I think that I just want people to be more open to um, hearing our experiences.
0: Raina, (laughs) couldn't say it any better than you. I think that was a perfect way to wrap up. beginning of this conversation because i want us to everyone listening and hearing i mean we have the olympics coming up in a couple months and i want us to to really sit and think about especially when it comes to the women's game as both cameron and Raina talked about is we're gonna have a lot of focus on the women's game women's hockey in beijing but what happens after that Who are we seeing on the ice representing Canada's national team? We have World Juniors coming up. Who's representing Canada's team? Not to demonize anybody. I want this to be clear on this. Not to demonize anybody. But we need to ask ourselves, who are we promoting to the world about who and what a Canadian should or shouldn't be? And this is why we need to continue to use a lens of critical race theory, black feminist thought and theory, anti-oppressive lenses, indigenization in the, the approach to our learning and our teaching. Because when we can do that, we can begin to see how we can make these spaces much more, I'm going to use the word, inclusive for everyone. So on behalf of Raina, Pamela, Cameron, it's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure teaching you two and 3 NSA, I'm Raina, this past term. This is not an easy course to do, especially for first years, for a first-year course. So, you know, you folks are fantastic. Can't wait to see what you continue to do in your future. So, again, thank you so much, everybody.
3: Thank you, Dr. Taylor appreciate it. Thanks for for having us.
0: Thank you, Pamela. Thank you, Raina. Thank you, Cameron. Thank Thank you so much, folks.